Hey everyone, welcome to the Cultivate and Keep podcast. I'm Jeremy with my good friend Corey, and this is where we talk about what we are learning, what we are studying in God's Word, and what is new with our businesses. And today we have a very exciting guest that I will let Corey introduce. Today with us is Dale Partridge. Uh, Dale is a serial entrepreneur, author, uh, pastor now, officially, I believe. Dale, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe uh, graduated from seminary. Now he's working on a lot, a lot of ministry-related things. Um, I've been personally following Dale for uh, quite a few years, all the way back from one of his uh, earlier books, um, People Over Profit. And uh, so just been a huge fan of for a long time. I think, Dale, you also kind of kind of squarely fit into this interesting kind of niche of like Christians in business who are like, you know, fairly notable and or successful, but also have a really strong emphasis on ministry now. And so uh, I was really keen to get you on on the podcast to talk and just chat, be able to pick your brain. So Dale, I mean, how do you describe yourself today? Um, like what's kind of like the quick, you know, two, three minute um, kind of spiel about how you got to where you are today, who you are, uh, even if you want to give a little bit about your testimony, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So, you know, coming out of the business world, I'm kind of going at it backwards. Usually pastors are in ministry. It's very, very difficult and taxing on their spirit and their soul and their family. And then they move into business. <laughs> uh, that seems to be the trend on, uh, from my experience. And, uh, you know, I, I just went at it a different way. The Lord had a different path for me in a different journey, but, um, my experience as an entrepreneur, I was a serial entrepreneur, meaning that I was planting and planting. Look, I'm already using church language. <laughs> I was starting um, businesses. Uh, you know, I, I think I had 12 or 13 different businesses um, over like a 15 year period or so. And uh, it was a really wonderful experience of getting something from idea up to start and moving forward. Um, and obviously had a, a few of those that did very well. Um, and that translated into ministry kind of like Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. Um, in terms of, I'm a church planter. Um, I am a uh, move to a location, get a church, specifically a house church, uh, planted. And I'm the type of missionary church planter that um, there's two types in, in you see in the scriptures. There's ones which would plant a church, raise up uh, men to pastor and plant other churches and send them off. And then there's church planters like Paul who are men that would uh, plant a house church or plant a church and raise up that body into uh I'm not going to say maturity, but close to it. And then they leave and plant another one. And that's the model that seems more natural to me, which is, again, in alignment with my history of starting businesses. And so I'm, I'm very comfortable not knowing where my next paycheck's coming from. Um, I'm very comfortable uh, not... Uh, are t- taking new communities of people and rallying uh, information uh, around that. Now, there's, you know, the secular principles that you would do that for a business. And then in the ministry, we know that Jesus says that I will build my church uh, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, meaning that he is the sovereign uh, 
creator of the church. He's the one that's redeeming and saving and converting hearts uh, and bringing them into his, his family. And so we're not born of Dale, we're born of God. And um, so the Lord is bringing those people and uh, by way of the gospel, uh, but there's still very much a organizational element that's required in the scriptures for church uh, government and church structure um, that has proven fruitful throughout church history. And so I just have um, the gifting of, of administration, the gifting of leadership and preaching, which is very typical of someone who is a church planter. Um, but my heart, guys, is to plant biblical house churches um, and to train up other church planters uh, as missionaries to plant biblical house, house churches all over the world. And uh, this means that this could be, you know, um, um, I'm not anti-traditional church. I'm very pro-traditional church, especially when there's a biblical traditional church. But we know that the times are changing. We know that, um, you know, the great prophet Wayne Gretzky, if you guys like hockey, uh, said, I don't go where the puck is. I go where the puck's going. And that is very true with my philosophy to church planting is that um, traditional churches, there are men out there who are called to plant and pastor these traditional churches and to, in one sense, go down with the ship. And then there's a whole group of other men who are called to be building a place for the church to go when we can no longer gather the way that we do now. And so there's really two movements. And, I, you know, one of my good friends, Costi Hinn, is planting a church in Arizona right now. And I'm in full support and helping him in any way I can. Um, and he will, he's one of those men that if it became illegal to gather, he would go down with the ship. At the same time, I'm over here planting house churches. So when that ship goes down, there's a place for those believers to gather. And so that's really where I'm at. Uh, I'm a full-time uh, minister of the gospel, living on the donations of those who support our ministry uh, at relearn.org um, and leading uh, men at reformationseminary.com, which is our school on how to plant house churches. So, hmm. um, yeah, a cre- you know, th- I'll, I'll leave it there because I could just keep talking <laughs> and I'll let you guys <laughs> ask more questions. Yeah. Yeah. That, there's lots of different uh, places we want to <laughs> go and questions we want to ask. And I want to actually, I'll, I think we'll get back to sort of like the, the business history and because we want to nerd out about that a little bit and sort of know what you've done and where you've been and sort of what your thoughts on are, are that before. But to kind of pick that thread on house churches a bit, uh, you know, looking back on like the published date for uh, house church, which is one of the books that you launched on, you know, sort of biblical house churches, which was uh, March 25th, 2020. So like smack dab, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic last year, um, pretty, you know, impeccable timing. But um, so you mentioned like there's kind of like these trends and these movements that are happening. Um, how do you see uh, like the church or I guess the body of Christ um, evolving, changing? So like what are the differences you've seen between the needs for a house church versus the needs of a more traditional church institution uh, that sort of we know and what we, what we think of as a church today? Yeah, so I, first thing is, you know, I don't think that the house church model is better or more biblical um, or right, the right way or anything like that. 
I, I do, in my experience, find it to be more fruitful. Um, and that's that's tricky language, but in my experience, I, I do see that it's more fruitful if it's done biblically, uh, meaning that it's not just a Bible study, uh, an organized you know group of people that are getting together as Christians with their Bibles. Uh, church is much more than that. Church has uh, church government and it has gender roles. It has uh, church discipline. It has regularity. It has membership. It has preaching. It has uh, worship. It has communion. I mean, there's so many elements to what makes the biblical church that, you know, when you get together with your friends, you know, at Starbucks and you're looking at your Bibles, it's not church. Um, and and that's a problem. And a lot of people right now have left the church and they're gathering as, you know, Bible studies because, you know, they, they don't like their church or their church, you know, has a mask mandate or whatever it might be. Uh, the dilemma is that they think that what they're doing is church when it's really not, um, at least within the historical definition of Christianity over the past 2,000 years. And so um, when you do have a biblical house church, it is, in my experience, the most wonderful place this side of heaven. It is an opportunity and an environment that generates the intimacy that um, you see between the disciples of Christ in the scriptures. The over 100 one another's in, in the Bible or in the New Testament really start to take shape and take root in the fellowship, that koinonia, participatory, reciprocating, deep, intimate fellowship that is um, that can be achieved when you're in a house church. Because uh, the, the traditional church, the dilemma is that they, they're typically 10 feet wide and one inch deep. Um, now, not all churches are like that. Um, there are some that work really hard to have intimate, committed relationships with one another. Uh, but it's difficult. Size is the enemy of intimacy. And so when you have, you know, 70 families, um, if you wanted to get together with every one of those families, uh, you know, you'd have to have a dinner once a week for a year and a half. Um, and then you'd have to start over, you know. And so we're just not built to be intimate with more than science says, you know, 10 to 12 families, 10 to 12 individuals. And there's a reason that Jesus had 12 and not 200. Um, there's something about the way that, he, that we've been designed that, that small is better, um, it's the reason why our families don't have a hundred children. <laughs> I mean, there's just a, we're designed for intimacy and that can be achieved in the house church structure. So I, I'm the pioneer out there legitimizing the house church movement in the midst of a lot of skeptics and people who are concerned about it because there's a lot of people that have been to a house church and it turned into a total nightmare. Um, house churches, the brand of a house church generally is a heresy factory. It's always bad. And so there's been a whole bunch of bad drama in the house church community for many years. And so I'm, my, my hope and by God's grace is to come in here and really go, no, let's look to scripture. Let's organize this. Let's be, um, let's be biblical and let's have elders, let's have deacons, let's have preaching, let's be expositors of the Word of God, and uh, let's be accountable and transparent, and not just a, you know, backyard barbecue with our Bibles. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, you know, I think 
for a lot of people wondering sort of uh, what the differences are. I think that size is definitely one of the big things that comes to mind is, okay, we can imagine, you know, it's okay. It's at someone's house. It's much smaller, but like practically speaking, uh, for someone to really understand sort of what you mean by a house church, like what, what would a, a typical house church gathering uh, look like and how might that be different than what people think of as a house church or even a traditional church? Yeah, so for example, um, our house church would start at 10 o'clock and people would arrive at 10. We wouldn't start our actual gathering or our meeting, uh, the meeting of the saints. Um, it's not a service, it's a meeting. Um, and we would start at 10.30. So the first half hour is just fellowship, getting together. And these are the people that you spend time with because there's only maybe eight families and a few singles. And so this is like not people you don't know, but people you know very well. These are, these are people you're doing life with throughout the week who are your genuine friends um, that you may have met through church or somewhere else. And we get together, and it's a potluck style, so everybody's bringing in food. We sit down, and I follow uh, this document that I created called a free worship liturgy. And this liturgy basically uh, allows for freedom um, in a conversational or a dialogue sense compared to the traditional church's monologue um, that allows some freedom but also has structure. And everything that we do is backed by scripture. So we, we get together, we sit down. Uh, there's, there might be some extra chairs that we have that we, you know, people are sitting around. The kids are right there with us at, at our feet. Um, we, you know, you work to train the kids to teach them how to be quiet for an hour, uh, hour and a half. And they learn when you invest that time. And um, what I, everybody would get actually a sheet of paper. And that sheet of paper was like a program that you would have at a traditional church. But in this sheet of paper, it's the free worship liturgy that I was speaking of. And I have assigned as the pastor um, who, which, which men are going to take on which roles for the gathering that day. And so the first thing would be, oh, Brandon's going to open up in prayer. He's going to open us up in prayer. And then David's going to lead us in worship. And we're going to sing these three, uh, these three songs or hymns. And, um, at any point, someone could say, hey, can, can we, you know, my, my wife might say, hey, can we sing, you know, uh, Amazing Grace today? And, you know, she can add that. And there's the flexibility in there. Um, and then after that, we would pray for the local government, the local church, the and the persecuted church as a, as a body. And then we go into a time which we call the open meeting. And this is a time of prayer requests, uh, praise reports, uh, moments where people can ask for prayer, and we can pray as a body. And this might take 10 minutes. It might take 30 minutes. We don't know. It might be a family that just had a miscarriage. It might be a family that, you know, their father is getting uh, tested for cancer. It might be a guy that just lost his job. We just don't know. But people are sharing. We're, we're walking out that intimate, deep knowledge with one another. And then, um, then I assign somebody to do a Bible reading. So we do a one chapter of the Bible every Sunday. Uh, that we're just reading it and we're reading the word. And then after that, we have a little bit of an open discussion. If there is any about what we just read, maybe a gentleman has, uh, has something that he had studied in advance on that passage of scripture. He would like to share for a few minutes. We give a little bit of margin there. The last thing that 
that I do is that I preach. So, uh, or would assign somebody else to preach, uh, you know, a 30 minute expository sermon, verse by verse, through uh, a passage of scripture. I'm usually going through one book straight through. Um, and then when we're done with that, again, there's an opportunity for some conversation, uh, but we do dive into communion. And before we take communion right there, we do kind of a moment of silence and reflection. Um, the scriptures are very clear about not coming to communion with uh, a wrong posture, with enmity between a brother and sister, uh, not being right before the Lord. And, and so we just take a minute and allow everybody to have a time to repent. Now, little r, repent, not the repentance that saves you. This is just the renewal of that repentance. Lord, I'm sorry this week I've done these things. Uh, you know, Father, forgive me before I come to your table and partake of this bread and this cup. And we do that, um, and then we do communion as a body. We close up the meeting. We do announcements. Uh, the women will talk about what's going on for the women's meetings that week. The men's will talk about the men's meeting that week. We have a fellowship time of uh, food and eating for another probably two hours where we get to have deeper conversations and fellowship together. And then everybody kind of gets out of there by, you know, say, 2 o'clock. And that's, that's the general flow of an average Sunday in a biblical house church. Hmm. Yeah, that's neat. Um, I was curious, uh, how like tightly or loosely do you govern uh, these house churches? So I, I know a lot of what you're sharing is kind of how your house church operates. Do they all operate the same or does everyone have somewhat of a different format they follow? Well, if, if you came through the Reformation Seminary program, which is a one-year program, uh, basically it's a missionary training program to send off house church planters that are qualified uh, men as elders or deacons uh, in a house church role. And so uh, if you come through Reformation Seminary, uh, then those gentlemen would likely uh, have a very similar format to the format that I follow. Um, not exactly, but very similar. And they are all part of um, anybody that would plant after Reformation Seminary, the vast majority of them will be in our house church network, which we're still getting ready to launch out, uh, which will be Reformation Fellowship. Um, and it's a fellowship of biblical house churches that um, we will slowly open up to the public, letting people know where they are, not specific house addresses, but ways to contact individuals by city and state mm -hmm. uh, where they're at. And so we're working diligently on that um, but you know, it's only as fast as we can get men into the program who are called mm -hmm. to ministry, qualified to do that and get them out, um, uh, through the program and, and out to plant churches. Yeah. A lot of what you're saying makes a lot of sense. You know, at our church, uh, we obviously, you know, um, have church on Sundays. It's, you know, corporate, it's larger. Um, but we also have, you know, small groups or home fellowships, we call them that meet throughout the week. And, you know, there's, you know, there's typically a, we call them home group pastors or someone that oversees that group. I know that's done, you know, anywhere from Monday through Friday. Um, and that's like a smaller, more intimate setting. And our pastors often say like, if, if for some reason, if you can't make church on Sunday if, or it's, you know, if it's, if it's Sunday church or if it's your, if it's your home group, go to your home group. Cause that's where you're going to, uh, you know, have more intimate experience and, you know, often a more, you know, deeper understanding of what's going on in the word and, and with teaching. Um, I was curious for you guys, do you also have any type of like small group or other gathering throughout the week or is it just the, the house churches on Sunday? Um, it depends. So we do have a men's meeting and a women's meeting every week, um, but it's not Bible study. It's usually just a get together. How's everybody doing? Sometimes we might study about Bible. Sometimes we might study a book. But when you do church, according to the scriptures, in a small structure, 
you don't need anything else. And that's why nothing else is in the Bible. So when you do church on Sunday and then small group on Wednesday, it's not, it's not wrong. It's actually a great thing. Um, it's, it's extra biblical. It's not unbiblical. Um, but it's extra biblical. There's, there's the gathering of the saints that happens on the first day of the week, according to the book of Acts. That gathering um, is the central and f- most formalized and most vital gathering that we need to be at. And so, um, you know, traditional churches that have home groups, I think is great. I think it's a great substitute because obviously what, what a lot of the traditional churches do is they realize that the lack of intimacy that comes with the traditional church and they see that people find it in the house church or in the uh, home groups. The problem is when they call those house churches because they're not house churches. Um, they're not governing themselves according to scripture in terms of, you know, they're not inflicting church discipline. There's not an elder necessarily in, in most senses. There's not an elder that they're walking in submission, spiritual submission to as a family. They're not giving to that pastor or to that church. Um, and so it creates kind of this hybrid version that I think a lot of churches are trying to figure out. Um, but, um, and that, that's what I'm, my big dilemma is, is, is trying to explain the difference between what a lot of people are doing and what we're doing. Um, and, um, but again, there's nothing wrong with small groups, home groups. They're great stuff. And it's vital for many of these churches to have. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very supportive of them. Um, I just don't want them to think that that's house church because it's not. Hmm. Um, if I can hop in with one question, just kind of clarify uh, one thing that kind of piqued my interest, which was that you mentioned how um, house churches are with people who you know well and are usually sort of like a, um, a few families and they're, they're people that are sort of close knit that you're already, you know, I I would assume probably in like a similar place or stage in life, uh, you have sort of like this rapport already built up with them. Um, so if you're starting a house church from scratch, or if someone were to join a house church, um, is it, you know, critical that they already know the people in the house church or is there sort of like room and it's normal to get to know people through time? Uh, or to just sort of like recruit new people, even people who aren't Christians, to be a part of the house church? Yeah, so the only way that the church should ever be built uh, is preaching the gospel. People are born again. Um, They are baptized and they are brought to the church. Or they come to the church and they're baptized as members of the church. Um, And so the church biblically um, is not for evangelism. There are separate efforts. Evangelism is an outworking effort. And, um, you know, we've, we've been trained in American Christianity to outsource our duty of the Great Commission to the pastor. So we just invite people to church and have him do it for us. Um, it's totally crippled the church. It's not right. And our job, you know, in a, in a house church where you have mature families and theologically and doctrinally sound, trained members who know the gospel, um, who are participating in the Great Commission, yeah, you're going to have members of your church that go out and they preach the gospel uh, every single time they get their hair cut at their barber. And eventually there's a conversation and say that this guy converts and is born again. 
um, that relationship and the discipleship that happens even between the gospel preaching and um, the baptism would be the member's responsibility to disciple that individual. And when that person says, I think this guy's a born again believer, like legitimately, um, you know, bring him to the church um, so that we can get him connected and, and, and baptize him and, and um, he could be edified by the body of Christ. And so uh, that, that's my experience. Um, so yeah, it grows organically. We don't get to pick and choose who comes. And so we're actually not like all the same age. We have very multi-generational, usually over like a 20 to 30 year um, gap. So you have people in their 50s and in their 20s. Um, and it's really wonderful to have that multi-generational structure. Um, and so sure, there's going to be niches or cliques and groups that naturally have affinity with one another. But you got to get over that in a house church because you might be a, a family that comes in that you don't have a natural affinity with. And in the Lord, you just get to know these individuals. And I've actually become close with several families and individuals that I would have never picked out of a crowd and have become really genuine friends of mine um, because we've really just been faithful in getting to know one another uh, through the church um, and through our, our fellowship in Christ. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important distinction. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. We'll have to chew on that more. I don't have any sort of like uh, immediate commentary, but I just wanted to point out that, that I think that's a really big point on sort of not outsourcing the evangelism and sort of the distinction between evangelism and, and meeting together as the body of Christ as a church. Um, one, one more question for you before we'd like to get a little bit more into sort of your background and some business stuff and sort of the relationship between that and how you, you know, sort of made that bridge. Um, but it's a bit of a two part question, so I apologize in advance, but, um, one sort of, why do you think that, uh, biblical literacy is so low? Something that we've been noticing and I know it's something you harp on. And I think in relation to that, uh, what are some kind of critical pieces of theology that Christians today are overlooking possibly? Yeah, so biblical literacy is low because the flesh is lazy. And the reason why we've got more information than ever before, and we're dumber than ever before. Um, I could even say we're more dumb if I want to be smart. Um, but the idea is, uh, is that we don't have the discipline of rigorous study any longer. Um, we have information at our fingertips. We don't have to develop the skill set and the um, the endurance it takes to know a certain topic. Or we don't even have the, the appetite to know something deeply. Um, we're so distracted. We're so thin. Again, a thousand miles wide and one inch deep. We know a little bit about everything. Um, we're not experts in much. Um, you know, everything is certifications now versus doctorate degrees. You know, you, everybody can go and become a personal trainer over the weekend or become a nutritionist in a, in a month or, you know, um, there's no, very few people are doing, you know, four to six year intense studies and going into long-term fields. Um, and so biblical literacy, I mean, the Bible is the most complex book on earth. And it's the most complex topic on earth. It's God. And so it requires 
substantial amount of study. People that think that I've been to church for 20 years and I've heard 180 sermons, you know, on this topic. And I, you know, I, you know, I've read the Bible and, you know, people say these things and I go, okay, um, you know, let's just look at your theology for a bit. In my experience, I mean, if you look at even like the Ligonier's study on the state of theology, it's a mess. Um, the average person can't tell you why Jesus had to be fully man and fully God. Um, that's core theology. For someone that's been a Christian for, you know, any amount of years, if you can't explain that, you, you don't even fully understand the gospel. Um, doesn't mean that you can't be a born-again believer, but these kind of things need to be taught. Um, people don't understand the, the, the basics of the Trinity or ecclesiology or the doctrine of God or God's providence or God's sovereignty. Um, they, they don't understand the, the balance between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty regarding free will and how does that work and free agency. And these aren't, these aren't advanced topics. These should be basic topics. Um, I'm not saying that they're year one Christianity, but they're definitely year three Christianity. Uh, the problem is, is that a lot of us were saved and then we go into churches that are putting together sermon series and topical things that are basically putting TED Talks based off of a passage of scripture. Instead of going verse by verse and theological, expositional, doctrinal maturity, we, we've we go to these really great communicators that are talking basically Tony Robbins with a Bible in their hand. And so um, biblical literacy is low right now because we don't know how to study. We don't even know how to read. Um, a lot of people don't know basic grammar. Um, you know, the, the nine or 10 parts of speech, right? Or clauses, you know, the Bible says the, the word, so that all over the new Testament, um, he went over here so that he could get this thing. So this phrase, so that is a purpose clause. And we don't even know how to recognize these things when we're reading, meaning that every time it says the word, so that you realize, oh, that's the purpose clause of what he's doing. He's doing X so that he can do Y. And so these are just basic biblical interpretation skills. There's causal clauses and there's contingency clauses and there's um, you know, there's um, um, uh, purpose clauses, and then there's, man, I'm going to, I have 12 of them, and I'm only thinking of three of them. I got to start that over. Um, let me come up with a few of them in my brain real quick. Sure. So there's causal clauses, there's, you know, purpose clauses, there's contingency clauses, there's things like antecedents. Um, whenever you see the word you, or your, or they, or them, or, or, theirs or he or she or you need to identify who is them and and there's so many biblical errors made because they misinterpreted who they're talking about and so these basic skills guys need to be developed let alone understanding anything about greek or hebrew or anything like that but just we need to have some of these basic elements of biblical interpretation so our ministry at relearn.org is trying to um, help with that through our podcast at real, uh, real which is called real Christianity um, as well as uh, producing resources and tools teaching people how to interpret their Bible more accurately 
Yeah, it's all good stuff. Thanks for sharing that, Dale. It's good insight. Um, I wanted to change gears a little bit, um, but I had kind of a three-part question for you. Um, I wanted to know kind of um, if you could walk us through the few companies that you have started, uh, why you decided to sell those companies, and then what the transition was like going from being in the business world to being immersed full-time in ministry. Yeah, so um, three companies out of the mixed. I, I opened a rock climbing gym. And ran that for several years in Riverside, California. Um, I opened a company called Sevenly. A lot of people had heard of that one. It became, we had about 50 employees, uh, several million dollars a year in revenue. Um, and then startupcamp.com um, was a business on a school on how to start a business. Um, and I, I had sold all three of those companies. Um, and they were wonderful experiences, difficult experiences in some um, circumstances and situations of, of just dealing with business partners and investors and relationships with people. I mean, it's just hard. Uh, businesses are hard. Um, managing people is hard. Uh, but it gave me a lot of the skills that I use today for operating uh, you know, a ministry, which is really just a nonprofit business. The problem is that, you know, God's the CEO. And... It requires much more humility, much more transparency, uh, much more thinking about uh, purpose than profit. Um, and that's that's been a new challenge for me. Ministry is difficult. Um, it is hard on the flesh. It's being able to serve and labor and love um, and sacrifice for very little income this side of heaven. Um, it's for believing that, that the Lord sees what you're doing and will reward you. Um, and, and that is a transition that requires a lot of, um, a lot of time. Um, you know, as a pastor, you basically get a lot of people putting their hardest things on you. And you can't just go numb to it. You you need to actually care. And it's hard to keep caring. Um, and so, um, yeah, so pastor life is hard. And I would tell anybody that's here that's going to a church on a regular basis and not supporting their pastor financially or by other means, please do so. Um, pastoring is very hard. It's one of those kind of underpaid, underappreciated positions. Um, we will absolutely pay the guy to come install the dishwasher at our house. Uh, we will pay the person to teach our children math, uh, but we will not pay the gentleman who does marriage counseling for us or, you know, helped us break free from pornography or gave us good sound theology that's changed our entire life and freed us from anxiety and worry. Um, it's, it's wrong. It's just a wrong way to think. Um, and so, uh, yeah, ministry's hard. Uh, the Lord has continued to provide for us graciously um, uh, at relearn.org. Um, and at our local church too, our local church, when I was pastoring there, I'm not pastoring there anymore because I have just relocated and we are getting ready to plant another church. 
Lord willing, in the next year. Um, but yeah, it's difficult, and I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm also in the midst of suffering from chronic illness uh, for the past several years, which has been a gift. Um, the Lord has shown me um, how suffering has equipped me to be a better and more fruitful and compassionate pastor. And, um, and so there's a lot there in that question, but, um, I will say it is a privilege to serve the Lord this way. Um, but without a deep conviction and calling upon your life to do it, um, if you can do anything else, do it. Um, that's why Paul says he's a prisoner of the Lord. Like he can't do anything else. That's how I feel is that I, I'm just, I'm, I'm called to ministry and I can't, I can't, I can't break free. And, um, it's not something to hobby in. It's something that the Lord calls you. And if he did, it is, um, you're a slave of Christ and the work is difficult, uh, but it's very rewarding. Yeah. Dale, if I can ask you a, a, a candid question, and then um, I want to also kind of tease that thread a little bit more on uh, financial support for pastors and church and sort of tithing a little bit. But um, just from, from your experience, you know, on sort of being successful, quote unquote, uh, uh, and you even have a book on this on safe from success uh, in business and sort of financially um, having, I would assume, some sort of financial independence or some sort of amount, right, that would allow you to not have to go back to a regular job, for example, or having some sort of thing uh, to fall back on. Um, how has, has that uh, or has that influenced the way that you live and what you spend your time on and, you know, and sort of what you are doing today, doing ministry full time? Yeah, I mean, we live in a fifth wheel trailer right now. I mean, um, <laughs> living it up. We, yeah, I mean, we're living in this for probably a year plus with, you know, 415 square feet with five people, three little kids, uh, while we build a house. Um, we do have some financial stability, um, from the past that allows us to have some financial freedom and no debt, um, which is a blessing. And, um, you know, it allows us when, when, um, our, our investments are functioning, um, which we had sold some properties and now are, um, putting that money into new properties and, and we can't touch that money in between kind of thing. Um, uh, the, those, those properties do give us the ability to not take much from the ministry, meaning that we don't need a lot, uh, to continue serving. Um, I take a pretty modest salary, um, and, uh, and I like that. I liked being able to serve and not, um, and not have to be so dependent on um, donations and to reinvest that money into the mission's work and supporting our other students or, or other efforts that we want to create. Um, so uh, hopefully that answers that, that first question. Can you remind me the second part? Yeah, so I'm curious your thoughts on, on tithing and sort of giving, like, uh, well, one, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on tithing, because uh, that's like the traditional sort of like method and vehicle for supporting a pastor and or a church uh, institution as a whole. Um, but also your thoughts on 
like what the alternative is and sort of your thoughts on financially supporting a pastor or a marriage counselor or someone where maybe we would uh, traditionally think of, you know, getting that sort of thing for free. Yeah, I mean, I just go, the laborer is worthy of, the, worthy of its wages or worthy of his wages, as the Bible says. Um, you know, he who lives by the gospel, you know, will be, you know, uh, or he who preaches the gospel will live by the gospel. I mean, uh, the Bible talks about these things. Um, I just think that if someone is offering you something um, and it's benefiting you and you can afford to pay for it, um, then pay for it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, whether that's counseling, whether that's preaching, I mean, man, um, I think it's, you know, a very small percentage of people in the church that actually support the church. Um, it shows that money is an idol in many people's lives. Um, and you don't need to give 10%. Tithing is biblical, but it's not Christian, meaning that it's Old Testament and not New Testament. Um, there's no number that you get to go, I've gave my 10%, now it's checked off. You know, God might tell you to give 80%. Um, he might tell you to give four. Um, and so, you know, I just go give what you can, um, you know, and I wish I had my Bible in front of me. I'd look up the Second Corinthians passage that God loves a cheerful giver. You know, it's not amount the about the amount. It's about are you being faithful with what the Lord has given you, supporting the ministry that is edifying you and your family. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to to threat to pull on that a little a little bit more, because I know some people are going to be wondering, okay, well, you know, why does Dale believe that, or sort of like where does that come from? Could you just really briefly describe? You know, to again like cite the exact scripture, but just um, the thinking behind why tithing, uh, why you believe tithing is biblical but not Christian in the sense that it's sort of Old Testament, it's obsolete um, in sort of how you choose uh, what to glean or follow from the Old Testament versus what is no longer applicable to today, for example. Yeah, tithing is a practice that's done for the Levitical priesthood um, under the Old Covenant to support the priests and tithing, actually, if you add up all the tithes of the Old Testament, it comes up to like 20 to 23% of your income. Um, you know, tithing is arguably money, it's food, it's, you know, there's uh, the idea of the storehouse. There's a lot going on there. Um, giving is what Christians are called to do. You never see in the Bible, in any New Testament passage, a Christian tithing. Um, you see Christians giving, but you don't see them tithing. And so get rid of that 10% language um, in your brain and just go, Lord, whatever you want me to give, I'll give. And, um, and that's, that's really what, um, what we, what we preach at our ministry. And it's, um, it's what we preach in our churches. It sounds like you've accomplished, well, it doesn't sound like I know you've accomplished a lot um, at a fairly young age. And I'm, I'm just curious on advice you'd have um, specifically for young men, just how to balance like, you know, business projects, careers, um, you know, while balancing families, uh, ministries and marriage. And I think that's one thing me and Corey often talk about and kind of struggle with for ourselves is how do we keep growing and, and you plug in away, but at the same time, uh, you know, make family and ministry and our marriages important. How would you advise someone kind of in that season of life? 
I think the end game is self-control and discipline. Um, everything has to be, you know, as a man who wants to work, I can easily become a workaholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I can easily become lazy too. Um, I can, what I, what I found in my experience is just being rigorously disciplined. And I, I really do follow Matthew chapter six, you know, first seeking the kingdom of God, first seeking Christ and the kingdom of God and trusting that all things will be added. And so I just go, um, so many men have compromised their family in the pursuits of ministry, the pursuits of business. Um, and it's the balance. It is constantly the balance. I learned that what many people don't know, but wealthy people do know is that once you get to the top, there's nothing there. Um, whatever you're chasing, um, just be careful that you're not missing what's happening. You know, spend time with your kids invest into your spouse um seek god not for three minutes in the morning but try to invest you know 30 60 minutes study the bible don't just read it um and um and have accountability be a humble man or woman letting people speak into your lives when when you're obviously going off the rails or working too much, um, focus on your health. If you lose your health, nothing else functions. Um, those have been things that I think just principles that have really helped me. Um, and then at the end of the day, just throw it all into the Lord's feet because, you know, he might take you on a crazy journey like he's taken me and, um, taking me to the top and to the bottom and to the, to the hospital bed, to the, you know, to the campground that I'm living in right now. <laughs> so, uh, there's so much going on. Um, but, but I think if we just seek the Lord, everything else will fall into place. Hey, uh, where can people learn more about you if they want to follow along, um, learn more about relearn about the ministries, about ways to get plugged in and, uh, and take advantage of the resources you've created. Yeah, you can follow our ministry at relearn.org. Also our Instagram account is relearn.org. I'm I'm the one that's managing that for the most part and posting, writing there every day. I'm also on Twitter at Dale Partridge, um, reformationseminary.com. And then the last thing is our podcast is Real Christianity. Um, We just passed 3 million downloads on the podcast and have a regular listenership of, uh, gosh, probably maybe 150,000 downloads a month or so. And so it's, it's a good size of people and it's, been a blessing to be a part of it and to teach there and so that's where i'm teaching most often if you're interested in hearing more yeah that's awesome well done dale thanks again appreciate everything you've done uh going to be following along closely continuing and uh, appreciate your time today amen guys take care all right well that was our recording with dale um that was super fun anything uh, right off the bat to stick out to you core that you wanted to kind of touch on yeah, well, we didn't have as much time as we wanted to. Uh, we started to figure out um, Dale, as he sort of like mentioned in that episode, was uh, he's living out in an RV right now because they're building a house 
Uh, they moved to Arizona. And he sort of mentioned this, but basically the backstory is that uh, they've been living on like a big like ranch style farm in Oregon for the past several years. Um, but uh, he's experienced a lot of like chronic Ill- illnesses. And so he, they just like, I don't know, like a couple of weeks ago, moved to Arizona where it's like a better like climate for the illnesses that him, I, th- I think especially his wife has also gone through some kind of crazy stuff as well. Uh, but anyways, we had to like talk on the phone and then record through here. So we didn't get to everything. Um, uh, but I feel like it still went really well and we covered most of the main things that we wanted to. Um, and I'm actually glad that we kind of spent as much time as on the, on the house church kind of idea as we did, because that was like one of the bullet points I had, but I think there was actually a lot packed in there that, um, really kind of encapsulates sort of who he is and like what he's working on, um, more so than a lot of the other things that I had that I wanted to talk about anyways. Yeah. It was funny thinking about, um, like the house church. Like I, I, kind of the question I asked him was, uh, well, I guess what I want to get down to, what's the difference between the house church and like a small group basically is what I was kind of getting at. Right. Uh, and I think he clearly explained it, but there's a lot to it. I mean, um, I mean, essentially it is the church just broken down in a smaller, uh, you know, setting with, you know, close families that you do life with. And I think it sounds really appealing. Um, but he also mentioned mm-hmm. like, it also is something that is not widely accepted and it is kind of looked at as just something that's different right now. So it was interesting to hear him really break it down. Cause you, you know, you can read on his website all about it and what it means, which I did, but hearing him talk about it was also interesting as well. Right. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he broke it down. Like, pretty much like item by item, like what the itinerary looks like for a house church gathering, because I couldn't really imagine what he meant that was different than a home group, sort of what we know, but that probably isn't exactly like normal, you know, across the country, uh, perhaps. But, um, uh, I was like, one of the things that really stuck out to me about that was just how long it was. Uh, so he said that, you know, normally they would meet at like 10, they would like start officially at 1030 and then they would like wrap up at around two o'clock And it's all like very sort of like, um, dialogue and conversation base, you know, it's like, even if they're like sitting down to like meet and like go over biblical stuff, you know, it's very like dialogue base. And then after that, they like reserve a whole bunch of time to just like eat and like talk to each other and like have fellowship essentially. Um, which is interesting because, you know, if I think about foothills, we have Sunday morning, you know, sort of traditional church, but like there isn't like a ton, like, you know, you could like pull some people aside and like go to get lunch together or maybe like chit chat before or after a service. Um, but it's not like a, a ton of fellowship. And even at a, a, a home group, it's sort of a similar kind of thing. Like you might chit chat before you might chit chat after, but it's not really like, it's not the same vibe as like a, you know, just like hanging out with friends. If that makes well, sense. Well, you think about like, uh, I think like, uh, home groups and like, even you think of like common ground or like bigger settings like that, you know, I think they work hard to foster the like community aspect and like, Hey, let's hang out after we're going to play, we're going to play volleyball. Or we're going to have dessert mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And it's kind of like you're, you're pulling teeth. Like you're trying to get these people to stay together. But I mean, the reality is like right. most of those people probably like don't do life together. Right. You know, maybe that's their home mm-hmm. group or whatever they attend, but uh, like their close friends probably go somewhere different. And I think that's what makes the house church different is that um, it is people that you are doing life with, right? Um, it'd be like me, you, and like Nick and whatever, our close friends and our wives like doing this kind of thing together, which means like our fellowship and community would be natural because we're all like best friends and we all hang out, you know, often. So um, 
Right. It makes right. like you think of how, you know, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. That seems like a long time, which it is. But when it's with people that you would hang out with anyway, you know, like it, it does make sense. Right. What saying. Oh, totally. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It struck me like um, part of me, you know, just I, I want to be careful. It's not just like confirmation bias. And I'm just sort of like agreeing with, you know, hearing what I want to hear essentially. But part of me is like, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's part of why you know, Monique and I have struggled with church or with home fellowship in the, in the past, just because it's not like, you know, with a lot of close friends, you know, like maybe there's like another friend or like another, like, you know, a group of people that we know well, but aren't like super close friends, but it really is like an entirely different dynamic when it's a bunch of really close friends. Like that's a, a whole new, uh, uh, a whole new kind of deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one other area we didn't really touch on a whole lot, which I wanted to spend more time on was kind of what he's done in business. But I mean, he's done a mm-hmm. lot. I mean, I think if you're listening uh, and you don't know what he's done, like go look at his website, so go read his biography. But he's, you know, he mentioned those, those three businesses and I feel like he downplayed one of them. But, you know, one of them had over 50 employees and I imagine it was a pretty good exit sale <laughs> when he when he sold it. But um, I mean, I'd hope so. Yeah, yeah it would like have to be. Yeah. But and that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then we also didn't get a whole lot into um, like some of his illnesses. But hey, do you know like a bit more of kind of what he's experienced in that sense? Um, man, I've I've like seen it uh, or like read about it here and there. There's been like a few things that he struggled with, but I think a lot of it is like um, um, uh, sort of like internal. Uh, you know, I'm not even gonna try to. I I have no idea. It's like not like. It's it's but, serious. That's uh, all that matters. I mean, right? Like, yeah. I mean, he almost lost. It's his really life serious, but it's seven, not like right? he has. Right. It's it's serious, but it's not like he had cancer. It's like he's had like these like really tough diseases that have like affected his like energy and yeah, like the way that he like functions and um, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, despite that, so like going back to sort of what he's done. Um, I remember hearing on another podcast interview he did start talking about the, even like the rock climbing gym, how like, I mean, like it's not a, a small thing to like start a rock climbing gym. <laughs> like you have to get a ginormous space. You have to like build out all the like, you know, rock to, uh, to climb on like all the equipment essentially. Um, and he did, he did that for a few years. And I think that Sevenly was sort of like born out of that in a kind of like a tangential way. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're doing, if you have 50 employees, uh, that's at least, you know, $5 million a year. He said, you know, multiple seven figures, but my guess is it was even doing eight figures a year in revenue. Um, and then also at startup camp, which is sort of like teaching people to build an online business. And, uh, that I think, you know, it's basically who's selling eBooks and courses and sort of like programs to train people how to start businesses. And, um, you know, that was, there was like an official sale. Like I remember, you know, it being handed off to someone like the new owner introduced themselves and like, wasn't just like a small sort of like discreet, like, you know, it was a, a whole kind of changeover. So it, like, and they're all very different, you know, like rock climbing gym, uh, you know, t-shirt retail. And then we have, um, like digital products, like very, very diverse set of experiences. Yeah, and I think one more, probably the last thing that really caught my attention was, um, I mean, really that that last question I asked him, which I wanted to spend more time on, but um, Mm. kind of like that balance of, like, how do you keep growing? How do you keep advancing with your career, businesses, projects, whatever it is, but also, like I said, balancing your family, ministry, um, and your marriage? Um, 
but I did like his answer. It was very simple, but basically it was focusing on like back to God and first like, you know, focusing on the kingdom of God versus uh, like what you're trying to get, what you want to achieve at the top. And just funny what he said, like, you know, those that are, those that are wealthy know, like once you hit the top, there's nothing there. And um, I don't know, just a good reminder, like a good thing to think about, like, cause it's so easy to get caught up in like for myself, just thinking of like, man, I really want financial independence. I really want, you know, security, all these things. But I think, like you said, the reality is like when you get there, I think we're, we're going to find that like, there is nothing there, right? It's not what you thought it was. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, but also I liked how simple he made that answer. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that uh, stood out to me from his response was he was like, you know, it's all about self-control and discipline and like just having sort of like fighting against the flesh to like just, you know, do it every day and just like make, make it a part of like your life and routine and habit just to, to make it happen to basically like design that balance into your life instead of waiting or hoping for it to just kind of magically happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was like the answer I didn't want to hear because I knew it was like kind of true all along, but like it, I mean, it's one big juggling act and, uh, you really do have to be very intentional. It's not just gonna like some things are going to take priority. And so if you don't prioritize them, like they will, they will prioritize themselves essentially. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I took away from it as well. Yeah, I, I read this in, in one of his blogs. I was going to ask him it. He kind, it kind of like shined through that answer he gave. But he has this line in one of his blogs and it says, uh, I viewed Christianity more as a philosophy to follow than a person to be enjoyed. Uh, I knew about him, but I didn't know him. I'm just talking about like knowing God and on, on a deep level and really, you know, enjoying who God is. Um, and I wanted to talk about that with him. We didn't get to it, but I feel like he, again, he answered it through that question of like back to, you know, don't just spend, you know, three minutes reading scriptures in the morning, but like study the word, like enjoy God in the morning, you know, be with God, uh, know God. So that was cool, man. I think it was a good interview overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really glad we did it. Really glad for, for his time. Uh, he's a really like prolific content creator. So I encourage everyone to, uh, pick up some of his books. I've read, um, people over profits, uh, say and save from success. He also has, uh, the one on house churches. It's called house church and another one called real Christianity, uh, which is sort of, I think like a, you know, summarization of some of the like theology that he's very, you know, passionate about some of the differences to American Christianity. Um, and then an old one as well called launch your dream, which is more business, uh, business focus. And he actually published that in 2017. So it wasn't that long ago. Um, and, and of course he has like, he has the blog, he has the little Christianity podcasts. Um, he's really active on social media. So mm. I encourage everyone to, uh, go check him out and read up on him. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, that was our episode. All right. Let's wrap it there. Thanks for listening today. Three things you can do to help us support the podcast. First of all, drop in your podcast player of choice and leave us a review, preferably Apple. Um, that, that goes a long way to help us uh, reach more people and uh, just show that, you know, support the podcast. Also, you can just share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already hit the subscribe button, these are all the big indicators that help us move up the charts and ultimately grow our audience. Otherwise, we'll see you in the next one. And I appreciate listening.